Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run and drive with the game changers. And I always say this is where the best run, and that's true. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a website, jdsupra, S-U-P-R-A dot com, legal news. Uh Uh-oh, let's see what we're talking about. So listen up. Given the pace of change in the automotive space and related technologies combined with increasing regulatory scrutiny and recent developments in trade and M&A, boy, is that a packed first sentence, the global automotive industry can anticipate several risks and challenges in 2019 and beyond. And here we are almost done with 2020. These include warranty, recall, and litigation risk for suppliers. U.S. antitrust enforcement, connected cars and cybersecurity, NHTSA, intellectual property implications of autonomous vehicle technology, and so much more. So what are we talking about? That's the end of the quote. Mobility has undergone fundamental transformations in the past decade, and that means back to about 2010. From suppliers to OEMs, Everyone in the mobility landscape is confronting legal questions, as that's going to be our focus. While new technologies and business models hold great promise, and this is an exciting time for mobility, we know that, they could run against current and future regulatory limits. How can automotive companies innovate confidently? That's such an important word, innovate, while protecting their businesses from legal scrutiny. And I'll even take it a step further from legal pitfalls or speed bumps or road blockages or potholes. We'll just leave it there. I have a panel of three experts. I'm so excited to welcome them. We have Jennifer Dukarski at Butts Along, and she said I can call her Jen. We know each other very well from so many radio shows, along with Renee Stevens and Mike Newell at We Predict, and we'll find out what their companies do for their take on our topic today, balancing law and innovation in the automotive industry in 2020 and beyond. So let's go there. Welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy Happy to be here and a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP for sponsoring this wonderful series. Exciting topic today. Jen Dukarski, happy to see you. We're here on Zoom. We're live. I get to see my panelists. My listeners don't, but they get to hear you. And Jen, we'd love for you to introduce yourself. And I'm going to say there might be 5.3 people in the world who don't already know who you are. So why don't you talk to those people? I'm going to put you on speaker view. Jen, take about two and a half, three minutes to tell us what you do. What does your company do, your organization? And a quick overview of your passion for this topic. Can you do that in two and a half minutes, Jen? Let's go. Let's okay. go. All right. <laughs> go ahead. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's just so exciting to be here. It, it's wonderful to be here with you. And thank thanks you. to SAP. I really appreciate the opportunity. So who am I? I, I like to consider myself the consummate geek lawyer. Um, I started my career in the automotive industry. I spent 15 years before going to law school uh, and now becoming kind of an automotive and geeky technology lawyer. Um, So I have my practice centers around everything from NHTSA regulatory issues to driverless cars, cybersecurity, and the fear of hacking into vehicles and just like in the movie, The Fate of the Furious, launching those vehicles off of the parking garage. 
That's the uh, space I play in. And I'm so excited to talk about this topic because we really kind of are at this just pivotal hinge point in terms of technology. We all love it so much. We're ready to adopt it and we're ready to see our vehicles get smarter and smarter and, and to have all of those fully functional services in the vehicle. So the time is, is absolutely perfect for the consumers to get great products. But at the same time, it's the perfect time for us to think about the risks that that brings. So I am so excited about this topic, Bonnie, and I'm very excited to be here and practicing at this time in history. Thank you, Jen. That was a, a great intro. And my question for you is in terms of, well, just one thing, level set, NHTSA. I spelled it out. What is NHTSA? Just in case somebody ah. doesn't know, what is it? They're part of the Department of Transportation, and um, they really have three goals. Number one, to promote automotive technology. Number two, to write the rules and regulations that, that um, help protect us as we drive down the road. And number three, they enforce recalls. Uh, so they are traffic cop in a sense, but they're also forward thinkers who try to help us get to better vehicle technology. Thank you very much. Good to know somebody's looking out for all of us. And uh, this show, by the way, used to be called The Future of Cars with Game Changers for many years. This is, I think, season five or season six. And I used to end the shows by asking, and I'll do this separate from your crystal ball predictions, in the next five years, will you still have the keys to your own vehicle? in your pocket, on the table, in the little staging area next to your front or back door. So don't tell me yet, but it will be interesting. So thank you very much, Jen. Pleasure to see you again. I've seen you many, many times in the past few months. We worked together on several series, Renee Stephens. We predict you're up next. Renee, please talk to our global listening audience. What do you do? What does we predict in case they don't know? And what's your passion for the topic? Welcome, Renee. Awesome. And thank you, Bonnie. It's, it's great to be back here with you. And um, thanks to SAP as well for inviting, inviting uh, WePredict on. Um, so I'm head of um, uh, automotive for uh, WePredict. It's predictive analytics as a service company. And we've been helping the automotive industry, the heavy equipment industry, a lot of various industries for the last 10 years really understand some of these risks um, that are facing them. Uh, on their products, on their components, and and what they need to do to get ahead of that, and also to be able to um, yeah, basically beat the prediction. <laughs> you want you you don't want the prediction to come true, right? <laughs> so back my my background. I mean, I'm I'm a passionate data person, so I'm I'm probably the original data geek. Um, and I was data before data was cool. Um, <laughs> I, uh, 28 years at General Motors running their global quality analytics um, here overseas. And then I moved to the customer side um, with JD Power and ran US auto quality for JD Power. So kind of taking in what's that experience with mobility and what are people comfortable with and not. And then moving to how do we get ahead of these trends in We Predict as we looked at the importance and the, the rising importance of predictive analytics with all of these really cool techs and new ways that consumers are now wanting to consume vehicles. Um, you, you really need to stay ahead of the trends and, and that's exactly what we do with We Predict. So excited to be here and it is a crazy, interesting time in automotive. I've seen more changes in the industry in the last five years than I did my whole career, 30 plus career. 
and, uh, and, and it's not letting up. It's still moving along. So I'm real excited to talk about some of those aspects today. Thank you, Renee. Pleasure to have you. And I've worked with you and, and Mike as well on other radio series. It, it is a fascinating time. And for the consumer, all we know is, well, right now, I'm coming out of hopefully a pandemic, global pandemic for what, last eight, nine months, it just, the time is just disappearing this year. I can't wait for New Year's Eve 2021 <laughs> and hoping for something better. But the question is, is the car in the garage that hasn't been driven much in the past eight months, is it going to last another year or two? Are there new models? Do I have some pocket change? I want to go buy a new car. Is there anything new in the tech in the car? As a consumer, do I need to deal with who owns the data if I have Wi-Fi in my car? Um, there are so many questions that impact the consumer. And so we're, in a way, we're, we're peeking, I think the phrase is into, behind the kimono, if you will, and seeing what's happening in the industry that will bring those experiences to us. And we are in the experience economy in so many ways. Yes, Mike Newell is waiting so patiently. Mike is also, we predict, Mike, we'd love to know about your background what automotive means to you, the concept of all these legislative changes, the pitfalls, the potholes, etc. Mike Newell, please introduce yourself to my audience. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me back, and thank you to SAP as well. Um, I'm the Vice President of Sales at We Predict, and Renee did a, a very good job of outlining exactly who we are, but my passion for automotive and data is a third-generation uh, former Chrysler Group uh, member on the supply chain and the procurement side, and then make the uh, the transition to the dark side of sales and mm -hmm. to uh, tier one companies um, with Martin Rea Hansel, Hassan Carbon Composites, and and most recently we predict. And really, the passion is taking the data and being able to clear up a lot of the gray areas that are out there, uh, the government side the quality side, the finance side, the manufacturing and commercial aspects. So it's really just working, put the best vehicle as we head forward in the, in the mobility sector. So it's, it's great to be on the forefront of the technology and working on the advanced side to watch all this happen uh, going forward. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, pleasure to have all three of you. I appreciate your, your expertise, and we're going to look behind and see what's going on. But first, this is the part of the show where I've asked my three esteemed panelists to send me a quote from a book, a movie, a song, preferably a movie or a song that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. I've done a little research on the background, the attribution, if you will, of their quotes, and they're going to explain in their own words what in the world the quote has to do. They will drive us to what the quote has to do. I'm trying to use some some metaphors here, uh, with, with the topic. And if you're just tuning in, this is the Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. We are live, presented by SAP, and our topic is Balancing Law and Innovation in the Automotive Industry. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here on the Voice America Business Channel, and we have Jennifer Dukarski, we have Mike Newell, and Renee Stevens, and Renee Stevens and Mike Newell, and I've got your pictures mixed up in the wrong order here, so forgive me. So let's go to the quote from Jen, and Jenna sent us a quote from Florida Florence and the Machine, and the song is No Light, No Light. Let me just give a little background here. Florence and the Machine, spelled out A-N-D, stylized as Florence plus sign, The Machine, an English indie rock band that formed in London in 2007. Boy, time flies, doesn't it, Jen? Consisting of vocalist Florence Welch, keyboardist Isabella Sum Summers, guitarist Rob Ackroyd, harpist, I didn't know they had a harp, Tom Monger, and a collaboration of other, museum, other musicians, uh, they, their sound 
has been described as a combination of various genres, including rock and soul. They've been nominated for six Grammys, and they performed live at the 2010, that was 10 years ago, MTV Video Music Awards and the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize concert. That's something. Here's the quote Jenna selected from Florence and the Machine. You can't choose what stays and what fades away. I wish I could sing that for you, but I wouldn't dare. Jen, how did you pick this quote? What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, it, it's really kind of relevant to the nature and, and when you're thinking about regulations and changing technology, um, there are a lot of things that we want. There's a lot of um, technologies and, and parts of the car that we enjoy, but it's not just our own decisions. We, we are influenced by regulation. We are influenced by a lot of external factors. So we don't get to choose what stays and we don't get to choose what fades away. It's it's something that's a little bit beyond our control. And really, that's what Florence is singing about there, that things are sometimes beyond our own control. Thank you very much, Jen. Very interesting. And I am really not familiar with their music, but now I have to go listen. So thank you very much for that. We love the cultural references when we ask for quotes. Let's go down to Renee Stevens. And Renee sent us a quote from Bob Dylan. The times they are a-changing. That's the song written, and that's the quote written by Bob Dylan, released as the title track of his 1964 album of the same name. He wrote the song as a deliberate attempt to create an anthem of change for the time influenced by some Irish and Scottish ballads. It was released as a 45 RPM single in Britain in 60. Does anybody remember 45 RPMs? Unfortunately, yeah. (laughs) Well, I had a whole collection. I had boxes of them, for goodness sake. And it reached number nine on the UK singles chart, and it wasn't released as a single in the US. Very, very interesting. Did you know that that Bob Dylan's original handwritten lyrics for the Times Era Change went into a memorabilia auction with a starting price of $2.2 million? Mm-hmm. And his, yes, and it's it's actually the article was dated April 20th of this year. If the price is met, it will set a record high for song lyrics. The previous record was reached in 2014 when, like a rolling stone, his lyrics were purchased for $2 million. And he wrote them, handwritten them on a sheet of paper. And there were little fragments of notes from other things like Tommy Blake's Sweetie Pie and Second 42nd Street Photo Booth, Peter Banjo and the Carter Family Tune that he wrote in the margins. This is gold for people who collect this stuff. So there's the quote for the times they are a change. And Renee Stevens, talk to me. I think we know why you picked it, but we want to hear it in your own words. Go ahead. No, exactly. I think that could be our motto for this year. Times are changing and we never, we don't know what direction, you know, if you think of Bob Dylan, I mean, that's what you think of is the the man who talks about changing times, changing um, new directions. Um, I can just remember going down into downtown Detroit where Harpo's, you know, used to go see him down there and everybody um, would come together just to listen to his ballads um, just because he embraces the change. I mean, it's going to happen. It's coming. You have to embrace it. And I, I think that's, you know, that's the world we're in today. Everything is changing for us. Um, you know, not just Obviously, this coronavirus situation, everybody's trying to figure out. Um, but, but, you know, really the, in automotive, the new business models, the new ways um, that we have to react to, um, as Jen just said, regulations and, you know, what our expectations are from, from the government, from companies, um, what consumers' expectations are of how we interact or how manufacturers and how dealers interact with them. There's so many aspects of business that are changing today um, that it's, 
you try to get the dartboard to, you know, keep up with them. And it, and it is really difficult. You really need uh, that whole concept of it takes a village to raise a child. And you, you really need uh, that village of people, that collective understanding, and you need to reach out to different sources to really understand some of the trends that are going on and know how you need to react. And for some people, that's not very comfortable. Um, and for others, um, you know, it's more of an adventure. Um, but, um, but again, that whole, you know, Bob Dylan is, is kind of the, um, you know, light, light source for a lot of that, um, that thought pattern on changing and times are changing. We need to um, understand what the new roles are. We need to understand what our role is and how we capitalize on that, how we interact with that and um, what next steps that we need to take. So it's an exciting time. Um, but yeah, also, um, you know, something scary for some people. It's very scary. And Renee, while you were speaking, you said uh, the light bulb, and it was interesting. I have a desk lamp here, and it, it just went out. And I've had this lamp since I was a child or a teenager. And I it clicked off, and I turned it on. It's not coming on. And you said, the light bulb goes off. And I said, yes, it just literally <laughs> did. did. <laughs> but Renee, when you were talking, I'm thinking my favorite, many years, my favorite phrase has been a French phrase, Jen speaks Francais, so she'll understand it. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't think that's true anymore. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. I don't think anything is the same as it used to be. I think we're in uncharted territory. We're driving into it, uh, driving, there's a metaphor, future mobility, into an abyss, uh, uncharted territory. There, There's fog, there's smoke, and in many places there is. And we're going into roads that we've never been through before. So wonderful quote. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate it. And Mike, let's go to Mike Newell. And Mike sent us a quote from Sylvester Stallone playing Rocky Balboa. 2006 film from written by, directed, starring Sly Stallone as underdog boxer Rocky Balboa. The sixth film in the Rocky series, which began with the Oscar winning Rocky 30 years earlier in 1976, followed by Creed in 2015. Anybody doesn't know the franchise? Balboa is a retired widower living in Kensington, Philadelphia. He owns and operates Adrian's, an Italian restaurant named after his late wife. He decides to try his hand at one final boxing match, match ending up in an exhibition against the reigning champ. I'm going to try to do this in a, in a rocky accent. Mike, you're just going to have to bear with me and forgive me. I hope I don't butcher this. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. How bad was that, Mike Newell? Rescue me, please. <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, that, that was absolutely fine. And uh, the meaning is still the same, applicable to life, technology, business, and in all aspects. And, you know, when you start looking at new technologies, game changers, regulations, and being on the forefront of technology, there's certainly going to be more knockdowns uh, than successful paths. And, so that, that quote to me is, is very personal, but it's, uh, a, you know, the willingness to, to hear no, not accept it, push forward and work on getting your message, the technologies out and, and implemented. Thank you very much. I want to thank my three panelists for your extra special work finding really cool quotes. We really appreciate the movies and songs are our favorites. So thank you. Now it's time for the roundtable. And Jen Dukarski, I'm going to start with your 
your statement number one, I'm going to read it as just one, one long sentence here and ask you to expand it. Take about two, two and a half minutes, three minutes if you want. Nobody's clocking you. And then I will invite Renee to agree or disagree. And Renee, if you disagree, that's cool. If you agree, add something to it. Add your own thought leadership, your own point of view on Jan's topic. And then Mike, you'll get the privilege of agreeing or disagreeing with either or both of the other panelists. And then we'll pop back to Jan and ask her if she wants to talk to either of you. If not, I'll pick a statement from Renee. We'll go around the table and one from Mike and let's see how much we get to. So Jen told me the following before the show. She says, people will say it's the fox guarding the hen house, but the fastest way to advancing certainty in emerging technology is to continue relying on standards organizations to establish the rules of the road for technology. Very serious. Jan, please expand this, unpack it, as they say on the news. Tell me what in the world this means, and then we'll go around the table. Jen Dukarski, you're up. All right. And, and people really do look at it as the fox guarding the hen house. When you think about it, the standards organizations are made up of engineers and, and people within the industry. And what they're doing is they're creating the rules of the road. They're creating the standards by which we um, hope our technology performs. Now, I think this is actually important in this time of change because they, the standards organizations and the people within the industry are best able to actually make the, the speedy changes to bring technology to the forefront in a more rapid way. When you look at the work on autonomous vehicles, for example, that NHTSA has done, uh, it, it took them a while, but back in uh, April of 2020, April of this year, they finally came out with a list of 12 of the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards and some potential proposed changes that would allow vehicles to get on the road. Now, they identified so many more of those regulations that would need to be changed. And they gave so many different proposals that they didn't finally fix on any one given solution for these different 12, um, 12 rules. So from that standpoint, even though NHTSA is of the best intention and they have people who are truly able to perform the work, they don't have the bandwidth and they don't have the staffing to be able to, to make this a reality. And if we're waiting for legislation to come through, we're going to be waiting a long time. There's another recent proposal that's coming through uh, that uh, a congressman is, is pitching right now. Um, they don't even think it's gonna come to the floor. So if we're waiting on Congress, if we're waiting on the agencies to create the rules, it's just never going to come. So we're going to have to put our faith in those foxes and the, the kind of work that they're doing to actually carry us forward. Thank you, Jen. Interesting conversation starter. Renee Stevens, you're up. Agree or disagree? I dare you. <laughs> go, go ahead, Renee. What do you, what do you, I didn't say which one. Go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I, actually, I, I do agree with Jen uh, on this one. And you know, just to add what Jen said about these groups that get together, um, they're not only the engineers and um, people from academia, um, people that are, are, you know, into the technology, understand it to a depth. They're also inviting in people, I mean, they've invited in people from JD Power, people that, you know, deal with the consumer aspect and what are consumers expecting out of that? What are they going to trust? because a lot of these new technologies will not be used um, unless people trust them. So you can put all this great stuff in the car, um, but yeah, unless it's automatic, people won't turn it on. In fact, they'll find a way to turn it off unless they trust it. <laughs> um, so it, it's not 
you know, actually even the, the, the fox there, it's actually a bunch of foxes, <laughs> you know, the fox and, you know, maybe the rooster and, you know, all sorts of folks now that are looking at these. Um, and I think your point, Jen, on um, the fact that the government doesn't have the um, bandwidth in order to have all these different perspectives, it's just not their calling. And they've got a lot of great people there. Um, but that's so true with the technology today that you really need to expand the amount of people that are looking at it in order to cover all those various perspectives. And I think that's what's important. Nothing will be perfect to begin with, um, mm -hmm. but I think the more perspectives, the better chance we have to succeed with these new technologies because they can save lives. Thank you very much. That's another important point. Mike Newell, love to get your POV, either or both of your colleagues on the panel. Where do you sit or stand or where do you drive on this one? Mike, go ahead. I absolutely agree with Jen and Renee on this one. And uh, to Renee's point uh, that it takes uh, a full collaboration from all different companies, all different cross-functional um, uh, functions to be able to go ahead and bring all of this into play. Uh, to be able to go out there. It's one thing for the government to be able to set regulations and uh, it's up to the collective effort of everyone to deliver in that respect and be able to implement it and make the consumers feel safe and put the safest product on the, on the road. So I have to agree um, with Jen on this topic. Thank you very much. Jen, I'll give you a minute here. Do you want to respond to, I know they agreed with you, but any nuances you want to approach before we move on? Well, I think Renee's mentioning the fact that consumer organizations are also getting involved in some of the standard development makes it feel a little less like it's truly the fox. Um, or as she suggested, there's a, a whole host of other animals that have joined the fox. Um, but I know it sounds uncomfortable, but I think we all just need to get, you know, to, to get to a position where we're satisfied with the work that, that is being done. And I think that's a big thing going forward. Thank you very much. Good opening around the table, Jen Dukarski. Thank you for that provocative statement. Renee Stevens, I'm looking at your statement number two. I think this would be an interesting place to go. You say manufacturers and suppliers are excellent at what they do, design, build, and deliver products to the market. But in this age of mobility, despite all the tremendous human resources they have, there is a growing need to partner with others who have niche experience or niche experience in areas like data science, AI, that's artificial intelligence, digitization, some people call it digitalization, they like extra syllables, and robotics. I'm going to stop there because you really packed a lot into this. Renee, why don't you unpack this for us, literally and figuratively, and then we'll go around the table and see what Mike has to say. And Jen, Renee Stevens, you're up. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So, uh, you know, the, the point here, it, it kind of expands the point we just discussed. Um, so there's so many aspects of manufacturers business that are changing. Um, and it, obviously, you have some great people and some, you know, very deep knowledge on manufacturing and designing building and selling vehicles um, out there in the field. But but every aspect of what they do is changing from the plant floor, um, from what do we need to do to keep people safe on the plant floor? What are the things that we can automate? Um, you know, particularly even now with, you know, making sure you're doing temperature checks um, uh, and all that aspect that you're bringing to keep your workforce safe as well. To now, if you think about how companies are selling vehicles and consumers more and more wanna reach out in um, the digital world, they don't necessarily want to come 
to a store or a um, retailer to go see a vehicle. They want to shop online, do all their forms online, click the button and, you know, here it comes. I mean, that, that's just the world we are in today. And it's very different than um, the, the way it was. And, you know, I call this partnering because it's, it, it can take experience that maybe a manufacturer is not, um, has not developed yet as a company. And so they need to partner with other companies that specialize in those areas. Um, you know, take, take our predictive analytics as, a, as an example. I mean, that whole area of looking for risk, um, again, is something a company typically tries to do, but to get down to the level that you need to today in order to see some of these changes that are coming in a quick succession um, on you to be able to react um, because designs take a while to change. Um, you need to find them way ahead of time, maybe even one or two years ahead of time. And so to have that kind of knowledge and talent, um, it, sometimes it takes partnering with others as opposed to trying to do it all yourself. And I call it the not invented here syndrome um, that a lot of companies still have. And hey, we can do it. We've got the best people if we don't want to hire them. But I say, you know, more and more the way the world is working is do what you're good at and do what you're great at and also bring in others who are great. Um, and the combination will be, um, you know, will help you um, succeed going forward. Thank you, Renee. Great points. I'm just going to make a sidebar comment here. We do have a series called The Power of Partnerships with Game Changers, and we talk about this. But past couple of years, we've started to talk on many of my Game Changer shows about the fact that industry lines are blurring. Not only are there new entrance startups coming in, for example, take banking, neobanks. Who, who knew you could bank at places that don't have the big pillars in front? And you could do it all online. I, I deposit my checks from my phone, for goodness sake, not even to a bank, to a brokerage. So many changes, but that idea of bringing in people who are better at a certain part, whether it's a supply chain supplier, an OEM supplier, whether it's an engineering something that they have the experts. There is this, you mentioned it takes a village, Renee, and that Mm -hmm. seems to be the mode in the necessary path forward for automotive and for many other industries. It's stop putting up the barriers and saying, this is just what we do. This is, we're the only ones who do this. No, you're not. You need to expand. And it'll be interesting to see in the next five years where industries settle out. Who gets to say, my company is in automotive? Well, but wait a minute. We thought you were making parts for retractable pins. No, we're now providing springs for some special mechanism in a car that still needs, who knows? So this is exciting. I, I didn't mean to take away your thunder here. Mike Newell, we'd love to get your point of view. I was just so excited by what Renee said. Mike, you're up. Agree or disagree with anybody? I, I agree 100%. It really piggybacks off the first topic where you know it takes a collection of different companies and different data sets that are available in the information age today to be able to put a complete picture. Everything is based on data. And there are a number of companies that have a competitive advantage in different sectors. Um, the issue that we've seen is, you know, if it's not uh, your data, everyone's a little hesitant that you're looking to replace their data. When indeed by collaborating with a full industry outlook, you're actually getting uh, answers to a lot of the gray areas and, and information we just didn't have a year ago. And as we continue to move forward, you're going to see more opportunities, more data points, more analysis out there to make the best decisions going forward. 
um, for the industry. And so I think 100% it has to be a, a partnership and a collaborative effort among all, uh, all industries in, in all data sets. Thank you, Mike. Jen, join us, please. What do you think? I think that's true, but I think that that's really a basic presumption and that brings with it a lot of new stressors. So I, I absolutely agree with Renee and I absolutely agree um, with Michael, but the problem is when you start getting these collaborative efforts going between and among these different parties who've never talked before, who most of them don't even speak the same language. And I don't mean literally the English versus Francais. I mean, take somebody from Silicon Valley who is used to developing software or who's doing data analytics and bring them in and talk to an old school automotive manufacturer who has been making hardcore car parts for the last hundred years. And, and you're talking about people who really have such a difficult time communicating and negotiating out a contract. That's where the challenge comes in. When you're starting to talk about things in terms of data and data compliance and regulations, privacy concerns, and you have these automotive manufacturers who've made seats forever or who've made steering columns forever, it is an entirely different world. And those negotiations are, are just challenging. So it's absolutely true, but that's, that's where the, the honeymoon period is in the fact that we need to collaborate. And that's when the hard work of the true marriage takes over. And, and sometimes it becomes a more bleak picture, but sometimes it, it really does end up as a wonderful partnership. Thank you. Very interesting. That was a good reality check. Uh, Renee, this was your topic, your conversation started. What do you think about what Jen just added? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of like dating. So you're on your best behavior when you're dating. And then when you get married, you find out, oh, my gosh, you know, here's what here's what I'm living with. Um, it's great. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's really you do get people that have a different viewpoint. And so understanding where someone's coming from and what they, what's important in their world um, that now might be part of your world <laughs> when you get into is, is very key. And, and I've seen it happen, I mean, even between, um, you know, like you said, like cybersecurity. So thinking about all those different areas where, um, you know, where people can now gain access to um, vehicle data. And, um, but now there's so many more players that need to gain access to things like vehicle data. But, you know, understanding both sides, okay, what's a manufactured view on what do they need in order to um, run their business and help consumers versus what um, maybe an infrastructure company that's dealing with the stoplight need to know and then how do you protect that data um, in between? Um, a lot of these questions are important questions and they, you know, they take understanding both sides on, you know, what's needed in order to, you know, satisfy the condition that you're looking to satisfy. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of time, it's different language, it's different people. Um, it's a whole different area. And hence the, I was looking at the title of the, this, this um, session, the future of mobility, hence, you know, more companies are, are moving to call themselves a mobility companies instead of automotive companies because they know they have to think outside their normal boundaries. And it's tough <laughs> because it, it's all new considerations, um, but, it, but it is what we need to understand going forward. Very interesting comments. And I'll just add another one. We are in the pandemic. I know from talking to Julie Freem, the president and CEO of OESA, 
the original equipment suppliers association that u.s automotive factories car manufacturers were shut down for about 45 days and if you think about it some companies know especially in the entertainment and restaurant business they ain't coming back so if the path forward if driving forward for an automotive or a mobility company you're you're so right renee if that path forward is to partner with companies that may have been competitors before that may not even be in the industry before and to find a, a new shared vision important shared vision playing well in the sandbox together who do we marry oh no makeup what are you going to do uh, all of those good things it, it it may be the only way to survive which could be an interesting motivator for lines to be blurred, for companies to get together, for people to start talking in ways they never would have dreamed of before. So that could be a positive outcome. I'm not sure. So let's move on. Thank you. Great topic around the table. Mike Newell, I'm looking at statement number three. Let me read a little bit here. This is interesting. A little different slant on what we're talking about. You say, as Kevin Roberts, automotive and transportation senior analyst at EY put it, quote, Future mobility is about striving towards environment-friendly, integrated, automated, and personalized travel on demand. And Mike's comment is it might seem counterintuitive, but it may be easier to forecast the long-term future than the near term. Interesting. What does this have to do with our topic? Mike, go ahead. Talk to us. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, I, and I do believe it is going to be easier to project the long-term in, say, 2050 than the 2030 timeframe. And as we look now, um, you know, got the governor of California mandated that by 2035, uh, there'll be zero emission or all EV vehicles that uh, will have to be purchased. And, you know, basically from that standpoint, uh, it's a serious technology um, change and it's, it's a significant design uh, issue that needs to be resolved and rectified going forward to make that kind of mandate. So, you know, I think we've all seen now in a lot of the urban cities, you see the electrical scooters, the bikes. Uh, I think we've all used an Uber, a Lyft, a taxi, you know, certainly to take a train. And it, it's just really the short term. I can see a lot of uh, possibly the commercial delivery trucks going EV, see a lot of the, um, you know, the scooters, the, basically the, the, the big areas, the big cities taking an Uber to a train, taking a train, renting a bike or a scooter to get to work and vice versa. It's significantly different uh, than what we're used to today. And there's no arguing that the combustion engine is ultimately on its way out. And certainly by 2050, I think that seems very realistic that, you know, we may have a, an EV autonomous slash Jetsons kind of, of setting but I really think between, uh, between now and, uh, you know, the short term, I think there's going to be a number of different variants of EVs and, and potentially autonomous vehicles. But I think going to full level five, which is completely autonomous vehicles and EV, I think is not possible at, at this point in time. Interesting. I love the Jetsons mention. I, we need to get somebody to pick up lines from the old Jetsons shows. I think I vaguely remember the Jetsons on TV. I might say maybe from the womb. I don't know. I'm not admitting to anything, Renee. Renee, didn't you say you were an early, uh, you were a data nerd before the word data was popular? 
Yeah, I, I was. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you're in the data group? What's the data group? <laughs> you know? well, I didn't know that I was quality group. Yeah, I didn't know I was considered an early woman in tech until somebody told me because I was a programmer analyst for the state of Oregon back in the 19 in the days of when I had to climb up on a step stool to put a disc pack in the drive. Key punching, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, COBOL, early, loved it. PL1, IBM 4341, finally got an online editor and we didn't have to key punch anymore. Wow, those were the days. I didn't know I was early at anything. I thought I was late. So anyway, it was just, just interesting times. Mike, loved your topic. Let's go around the table. Let's see, sitting next to Mike is Jen. Jen, talk to us. Oh, holy cats. There, there's a lot to unpack there. And yep. what I really think is interesting about that prediction and, and the way that Mike handled it is, is the fact that there is this squishy time period. And I think it's a lot of it's squishy for a, a number of different reasons. I mean, we have the fear of consumers adopting technology. It's easier to say, well, we'll, we'll get there in 2050. We'll have figured out all of the, the bugs and we'll get rid of the kinks. But I mean, consumers see the TV shows with bad things happening. They see the Will Smith movie, iRobot, and the robots taking over and the cars going crazy. So there's just this inherent fear and it's, it's consumer adoption issues. Then you have the regulatory issues where really things are not keeping up. And I mean, California is being California. They're pushing ahead with whatever it is that they think is important to them right now. And, and God bless them with their um, unique situation and some of the troubles they're going through. They have to think outside the box. And that's always pushing us along faster than normally we would go. So I, I do think there's going to be a lot of chaos in trying to figure out even how to get to 2050. Um, my thought is I hope there is a, a 2050 where we finally get to that point and we figure it out in between, that we overcome those tech hurdles. We get battery packs that are going to last long enough, and particularly in the winter and the cold weather like up here in Michigan. Um, so, you know, Lord God willing, we're going to get there. But 2050, I, I hope that's a time frame that we can hit. Interesting. Alavai. I don't know if anybody knows what that means. Uh, Renee Stevens, join us. What do you think? Where are you on this? Yeah, I, I, I agree with both Mike, Mike and Jen. I mean, there's, there's a lot that has to happen um, in order for us to go even all electric, which is probably, you know, the more near, nearer term um, viewpoint, but even to go all electric. Um, so you got to think about inf infrastructure. We're still totally not there on infrastructure. There's a lot of great new battery charging um, adventures and companies that are out there. I mean, Blink is one that's um, starting up in, in California. Um, and so they're starting to, to go forward. You've got the big companies like the GEs and the mobile that are looking at this, this area. So you've got a lot of companies coming um, that, that will provide that infrastructure, um, but they're not all there. So you can't go to a parking lot today at your local grocery store and plug in everywhere at every you know local place. So there, there's a lot that has to happen, and a lot of these companies are they have their their product development pipeline is filled with electric vehicles um, that you know the expectation is consumers will buy because that's what will be available. But there's still so much that has to happen between now and then. 
um, to get people more in line with them. Now, some companies are starting to find ways to get people, um, you know, a little less scared of maybe, you know, purchasing an electric vehicle. So maybe go rent one. And so they'll put it in their service loaner fleet and let people play around with it. Um, so, you know, that's one tactic to help people understand it. Um, so that will get there. When you think about AI, um, you know, you get into that whole trust factor, but you do have um, in the heavy equipment industry where like the mining and, you know, when you look at some of the industries where, um, you know, it's not so, um, there, there's not, you know, passengers and there's not people um, that are engaging with that. So, you know, putting it up and setting it up in an area where there's, you know, less of a safety concern and you're more, you know, providing a more convenient way to do work, um, I think is where we'll see a lot more adoption, like in the trucking industry and in those aspects. But we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, you'd like to think there's more electric vehicles that will be out there by 2030 because I, I see the pipeline coming in every manufacturer's lineup. Um, but we also need the infrastructure as well to be able to support that for consumers to buy that. And the other aspect is gas is still cheap. I mean, so when we look at gas right now, at least in the U.S., it's cheap. It's as cheap as I, I've ever seen it. And so it's really hard to get people to turn in their ICE vehicles um, for an unknown when you, when you have a product out there that's just still working. There you go. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Mike, I'm going to ask you anything you want to say back to Renee and or Jen. Go ahead, Mike. No, I mean, there were very good points brought up by Jen and Renee for sure. But I guess the curious question I'll leave with, what hydrogen cell as opposed to EV. And maybe it's a different technology altogether as we move forward with the key being zero emissions. You know what I think? I think people are ignoring a major mobility, future mobility market that I see here in my community, golf carts. <laughs> I you not. I'm in a 55 plus community here in Durham and we have parades up and down the street on various holidays and you get a couple of motorcycles, you get a couple of Corvettes, you get a couple of really nice old vintage Mustangs and then you get the golf carts with two or three or four people. Well, pre-COVID now it's just a couple. Uh, sometimes they wear masks and they've decorated them and you see them going up and down the streets and around the trails and they're having a good old time. I don't hear everybody talking about the future of golf carts, but I'll just leave that one on the table. Uh, Jen, we have time, barely time for one more topic here. I think this is important because this is a global radio show. So I'm looking at your statement number three. You said to me before the show, cultural differences between the U.S. and the rest of the world will continue to make legal and regulatory harmonization virtually impossible possible. Jen, why don't you take about two minutes and then we'll squeeze in about a 60 second reply from Renee and then Mike, and then we'll go to our crystal ball, even though we've already had Mike's prediction. Go ahead, Jen. I'll give the classic example. Let's talk about data privacy. With vehicles collecting more and more information and, and the ability to share this information around the globe to try to improve technology, I, it's, it's really clear that we're going to have to struggle with a lot of the, the rules and regulations globally. And nothing is, is more obvious than how the United States differs from the European Union and our perspectives and what we think is important. Uh, 
The GDPR, or as many of us call it, those gosh darn privacy regs, um, <laughs> really come from a place where European citizens truly value the right to privacy, and it's a right to privacy. It's not an expectation like here in the U.S. It is a fundamental right. So when you ask why everybody is so tortured and torn up about all of this data sharing, it's because the EU said, my goodness, United States, you guys are a surveillance state and you don't give people the right to really cure the problems with their data. And I mean, to an extent, they're right. It's not like I can go petition the CIA to change the way that they're doing data collection. So it really comes from that entire fundamental core belief system and the fact that they see it as a fundamental right, just like we see our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness kind of being those fundamental rights. And until we see eye to eye that way, we're just never going to have harmonization in privacy or in many of the other regulations. Thank you, Jen. Very, very interesting, the whole idea of privacy. And GDPR, you gave the polite version of what it stands for, <laughs> yes. And all of my guests on all of the Game Changer shows have to click I agree to an agreement about you are giving us permission to allow you to speak on the show, to retain your bio and your photo, and put it on a website for, for public access. So we're very much aware of that. I remember the day GDPR came down and reared its Head. We won't talk about that. Renee, I can, you know what? We are technically in the crystal ball predictions round. So I'm going to just quickly ask the panel, do you want to go to your 60 second predictions or Renee and Mike, would you rather comment on what Jen's topic was that she just introduced? Renee, what do you want to do? Prediction or comment? I could do either one because um, I agree with Jen. I get asked all the time for European data and it's really hard. Um, it, it's just very hard just be, to even get information um, or share it um, along with um, other countries. And when you get to these um, vehicle to vehicle um, type situations, more and more, I think even the Europeans are, are deducing that they have to either share amongst themselves or something that they have to do different. And it's very hard because fundamentally it's not, it's, it's not comfortable for them. The right to be forgotten. We, we, you can't be forgotten here in the States. Too many people know. Mike, quickly agree, disagree with Jen. We may as well ask. I agree 100%. And, and to the European data, also uh, looking at the Chinese market and the Chinese data is also a very uh, in high demand. So uh, going forward, I, I agree with, uh, with Chip and Renee on this one hundred percent. Chip, Chip, that's all I'll say. Not cookies. Okay, Jen. I'm sorry, Jen. I can give you each exactly sixty seconds for your predictions. Crystal ball. Nothing political. Nothing about climate change or politics or anything, but about this topic: the future of mobility and manufacturing. We're spoke. We're focusing on automotive and the concept of the regulatory landscape going forward. So, Jen, sixty seconds. Keep it tight. You're up. Go. We're going to have a lot more going on in the area of cybersecurity, and that's not just going to be in the cars. Keep an eye out for a push to try to make sure that manufacturers and their actual manufacturing operations are safe and secure because we've had some major hacks recently. You may have read about the Honda and, and uh, other attacks. They're going to come. They're going to keep coming. So there's going to be a major push, either regulatory or um, in other contexts, to try to change that. Thank you. Renee Stevens, you're up. Prediction, 60 seconds. They're all yours. Go well. Thanks. Um, I, I would say there's one word that comes to mind. It's transform. Um, so I, I see more and more companies transforming how they work and directly, even more directly. 
um, with with customers. So more manufacturers that you take the Tesla model. Um, more and more manufacturers, particularly ones coming from the outside into the U.S. market, are challenging our the way we do business in the U.S. And so I think more and more we're going to see um, this concept of working directly with customers, um, even, whether it's through the retail um, network or outside of the need, new retail network, um, will come into play more and more. I think Thank more you. people are going to question that. Thank you. Mike Newell, you're up. What do you see? Well, apparently I'm a bad poker player because I tip mine a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I think we'll continue to see the, the EV on uh, a smaller scale going forward with delivery vehicles, scooters, bikes, and things of that sort. Obviously, the, the market will continue to grow for automotive as well, but I be- really believe that there's going to have to be a shift in the technology, possibly hydrogen cell, to go mainstream uh, as we look forward into the future or some other alternative that hasn't been developed yet. So I would look for the technology to continue to change and improve going forward um, to hit the zero emission target. Thank you very much, panel. We have um, about a minute and a half to spare. Oh my goodness, it rarely happens. So I'm going to go around and ask you quickly, by 2025, do you expect to still have the keys to some vehicle that you own, lease, rent, borrow in your driveway, in your garage, on the street in front of your house, on your roof, in your rec room? I don't know where it would be. Jen, keys, yes or no? Absolutely. Ah, yes, Renee. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I think so. Mike, you with us? Absolutely no question. You know, we, we, we talk sometimes about millennials, people with millennial children who say they don't even want to get a driver, young millennials, because the, the, the leading edge millennials are already in the mid-30s and they're in executive positions and companies all over the world. But the younger millennials, Gen YZ, I'm running out of alphabets here. Uh, they don't even want to get a driver's license because they have no intention of ever driving at all. I say get it, it's a good ID, but that's besides the point. So we have just about enough time for me to do my thank yous. To my panelists, you are wonderful. You're all naturals, great conversation, great energy, great verve. I really appreciate the three of you. Shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP for sponsoring this exciting series and certainly had an exciting roundtable today. Thank you to my engineer extraordinaire. He calls himself my sidekick, and I think he deserves that, Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, Voice America, the business channel. Thank you, Aaron. And now I'm going to do my closing, and here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. Hey, what are you waiting for? My car is getting two and a half months to the gallon. How's yours doing these days? And I'm never giving up the keys. I'm on my fifth Z, and you know what that is. Vroom! Go out and be a game changer today, just like Jennifer Dukarski at Butsalong, just like Renee Stevens at We Predict, just like Mike Newell at We Predict. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.